Well, good morning. Oh, that's good. You are awake. Um, I'm excited to share with you the things that God is doing. He's doing some incredibly great things among us. Um, I came in today and in our 70 to 80 year old class, um, those who are 70 to 80 years of age, not that they've been in the class for 70, 80 years, um, <clears throat> they had with them, uh, uh, I saw Carol Miller, or Carol and Becky Miller are back from Poland where they have been serving in the midst of all that's going on. I don't know, are you here? Can I, are you in the room? Um, I don't see them. They may still be out there talking. But please, um, if you get a chance to talk to them, it would be a great thing to just catch up with them for a moment. The other thing I want to share with you is I'm excited about student ministry. They started a series called Break Trail. Yeah, you can say great about that. And it, it actually follows a lot of what we're doing here on Sunday mornings. So um, you know, if you have kids in student ministry or if you're looking for them to get into senior high, middle school, um, that might be a really great place to kind of get in conversation because it's going to be some of the same things that we're kind of talking about here in, uh, in these services. And one last thing I want to share with you is I'm excited as we begin as a staff, we're moving into uh, this season where we plan for the fall and winter and spring of, of next year which means plans and budgeting and things such as that. And with that, I want to remind us that we're in our fourth quarter of our fiscal year, which means, you know, we go from June to, um, uh, from July to June. So as we come into this last quarter, we really need you to um, look at that and pray about it and ask God how you're to be a part of um, generosity in, in helping us fulfill the vision. So as we look at next year, how we end this year is super important for how we plan next year. So um, please pray about that. If you haven't um, found yet um, this, uh, you've maybe been coming and you've been wondering, uh, we would love to talk to you how you can be uh, a person who um, generously is a part of this vision and mission of the church. And if you um, are praying about what you're to do um, in this coming year, we'd ask you to pray to the Lord and say, um, everybody, what is it, God, that you want us to do to step into um, the things that you're doing here now and in the future. So just wanted to mention that to you. I'm going to ask us just to, to pause for a second and pray. Um, and I can't go further without just taking a moment and for us just to collectively quiet our hearts. We've asked God to speak to us. I'm going to ask you to speak to God about our world situation. And so if you'd bow your head, and just take a few, uh, a moment here to listen or express your heart. Father, we pray for so many who have been displaced, not only in Ukraine, but Afghanistan and so many places around the world. And we are here in the comfort of the warmth of this building in your presence. And we give you thanks for that. But we also intercede for you to move in the hearts of those who are crying out for home, for peace, just to stay alive. Intervene, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're in a series called Passion and Suffering, and I chose for us to move into this series because uh, every year we need to recall and remember that 
part of the warp and woof, so to speak, of life is that there are times where we experience grief and suffering and pain. And in and, and the passion and suffering of Jesus is one of those situations that calls us to recognize the world isn't as it should be. It's not how God created it to be. And so we began in this series and we talked about, we've talked about these five swords and trying to figure out what do these mean. And, and, and we began with Mary where it says a sword will pierce your heart. And then last week I was really grateful. Um, Pastor Bruce did an incredible job on a very difficult topic which is um, this one where Jesus is in the upper room with them, in the, or is in the room with them, and they're eating and they're um, getting ready to um, celebrate that Passover together. And at one point, he says, um, "I want you to bring a bag and a and a purse and 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 a sword." And and do you have a sword? And, and a couple look around and see if they have a sword. And and so they have this kind of dialogue. And what Jesus is using is an idiomatic speech of just saying, I want you to be prepared. I want you to be ready. Because times are going to be difficult and it's going to be dark. And it wasn't in the sense, you kind of go, as he's saying, should you bring a sword to use it um, in in a way of overcoming and, and in battle, or is, you, is it a sword that's to protect you in the sense of just like a pocket knife or something? And and it, it appears to be that Jesus says, "Give a sword." And then later, as we look at our passage of scripture, Jesus will say, "Put the sword away." And you're kind of going, "What do you want?" It's so confusing. And, and I thought Bruce did a great job explaining that in times of crisis and suffering, we come to these places of confusion. What is God calling us to do? You may be in that place where sometimes what voice am I to listen to? We're going to talk about that in the Q&A afterwards here. But what does that look like? Now we move to one where it moves to a place of darkness. What I think is very interesting in, in that one we're, we're leaving. So you've got to follow the progression. Um, they're they're um, together sharing that last meal together. Jesus says those words. And the very next thing Jesus has them do is he has them... Go out into the Garden of Gethsemane. And in that Garden of Gethsemane, he basically says, here's the posture. It's not a sword to fight with. It's, it, here's the posture that you fight. You fight on your knees. It's prayer that is important when you come into these times of suffering, these times of passion. And so he says the, the fighting posture of a follower of Jesus is, is, is on one's knees. And I think it's an interesting thing that he moves from that into the garden where he is on his knees. And here's the prayer. Always the prayer that kind of sets our heart for God to do what he needs to do in times of darkness. It is this prayer that says, like Jesus, if this cup of darkness could, could pass, I'd really love it. But Father, not, not my will, but your will. I am all about your redemptive purposes. I'm not about self-preservation, but I'm about extending your kingdom. And so we move to this passage of scripture, and so I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read it. And I'm going to ask Peter to come forward, because some of you are aware that Peter Kastner will be speaking and be a part of this with me. So Peter, thank you for being a part of it. I was going to give you a hard time, but I, I was, won't. I know, but you and I clearly are crushing the wardrobe choice. Well, we morning. really yeah. did. I'm glad. Crushing it. <coughs> it was so, nice yeah. of you to call. Yeah, no, ask I did. Before I you came. Appreciate awkward, that. but fine. Yeah. But uh, let's read this scripture. Uh, it's important for us to kind of hear what he has to say here. It says, "When he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them, and he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss?'" 
And when Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? Wasn't that what you're talking about? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered no more of this, and he touched the man's ear and healed him. And then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple court, and you did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour. This is your hour. In this moment, darkness will reign. Thanks. You may be seated. Three things we're going to kind of look at. And one is just a simple, um, what I call the darkness of betrayal, which you see here. And then kind of the darkness of what would be corrupt governments, whether it be political or religious or any kind of human institution. And, and then we're going to talk a little bit about facing the darkness of the soul, kind of the night, and, and, and what do you do around that. So let's begin into this where we talk about betrayal. And, and I'll just share, um, I wasn't a great student in high school. <laughs> I, I just wasn't. I, for some reason, I thought I was going to make it I have so many comments, but I'm just going to stay yeah, on track. Okay. Yes, indeed. But I did have an English teacher who was really good, and she had us read The Hobbit. I read it, and I thought, that's cool. And she was so good. She actually had us do Shakespeare plays, and one was of Julius Caesar. And she's telling us, you know, this is a betrayal. This is, she's setting it all up. Why you want to read it, even though it's hard to understand. But it's the betrayal of a friend who actually stabs his friend in the back. And so we're going through this thing, and she lets me have the lines of Caesar. He goes, "Et tu, <laughs> Brutus, <laughs> then fall, Caesar." Wasn't that good? I, I yeah, tremendously okay. good. Like, so, yeah, you anyway. missed your calling. Yeah, the Orpheum awaits for you. That was amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Oh, <laughs> uh, that is nothing compared to the betrayal. No, I'm not acting. I'm talking about here. That is nothing compared to the betrayal. That Jesus um, experienced when Judas greets him, because hmm. that was what it was, sign of a kiss, as of affection. And that sign of a kiss ends in his suffering and, and death. So, let's talk a little bit about that yeah. betrayal and, and about how that comes in. And it does come in a lot of different forms, so people might be going, well, that's the big one. Ever been betrayed? Any thoughts around betrayal? Yeah, I, you know... Betrayal is this, oh, there we go. The betrayal is, um, I think it's one of those, those subjects that uh, we don't talk about a lot, but a lot of us have experienced in, in certain kinds of contexts. And, and it might be the betrayal of a friend that we trusted that suddenly, for reasons unknown to us, began to turn away from us and stopped answering our texts or stopped calling. And we didn't, we maybe trusted our hearts with them on some level that we could have a friendship moving forward of, of trust and feeling like we belong. And then suddenly you sort of get ghosted and you don't really know why. Uh, all the way to perhaps in a job situation, I'm sure many of us have experienced the relationship based on a common affinity of having a job or a task in our employment. But then somebody maybe has a bit more power within that organization than we do. And maybe we've trusted ourselves to that person and we've shared a lot of meaningful experiences on behalf of the organization. But suddenly that person who has a bit more power uh, turns on us on some level and, and maybe even has the power to let us go or fire us. And that, that really hurts all the way to the, the horrors of the betrayal of adultery, uh, anything within that vein. And Kevin, I think betrayal takes us into some really deep 
uh, in inky waters in kingdom life because it's hard to see where to swim and which direction to go when you're in the midst of all of that. And, and especially, I think it's incredibly difficult to, in, in the story that you're going to continue to work us through, you see the understandable response of the disciples of Jesus wanting to meet the betrayal with force or meet the betrayal with violence or, or, or meet what was a violence of spirit upon them with a tit-for-tat kind of mentality. And, and Jesus takes us into a different place in how he responds to the betrayal. And, and those are, yeah. those so, are deep waters of kingdom. So anybody here can relate to the fact that you've probably been betrayed on, betrayed on one level or another, or maybe a friend shared a confidence that you, didn't, you know, shouldn't have shared, or it could be simply as we've got a tech problem here. <laughs> yeah. You know I'm going to move my head again. There we go. Work. Is that better? <laughs> wow. Just, just stay in the front row. I'll call you. Yeah. Well done. Derek well Fornis. done. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. You know what, Derek? Derek has been doing sound for us the last number of years. On the way out of church one time, he had been contracted for us to do sound. He said, you've been preaching for the last, you know, whenever I come to do it, it seems like God's speaking to my heart. And I, it was so cool. Came to faith in Christ. And so, Derek, thank you yes. for uh, your work. <clears throat> yes, your technological prowess only matched by your spiritual depth, Derek. That was amazing. Yeah, yeah. well done. Well done. <laughs> We're open to spontaneity, but yeah. we do have a time frame. I know. I do. We do. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. <clears throat> and I don't even know how we, we won't get through all this, but I will say um, when you have those moments of maturity, uh, you know, when I know when I was younger in my faith, I would sit up at night devising schemes of how I'm going to get back. Right? Anybody ever done that now? Is, is if you grow in your faith, you don't do that anymore. You, you, you don't devise schemes to, to really um, kill them, put them down kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But now you just kill them by paper cut kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like little comments here and little things there. It stays in your heart. And so let's just talk quickly. If you've been in that place, um, what would Jesus do? What, what do people, if you've been in the dark night of betrayal, what are some things we could encourage people to move into that are, are really helpful. Yeah, well, and this doesn't happen overnight, I think, what we can move into in the midst of betrayal. But as people, we, we like to claim that we are Bible-believing people, right? We, we trust the scriptures as, as a way of doing life that brings light into the darkness, as we have been singing about all morning. But if we take the Bible seriously and let the Bible just be the Bible, some of the first words of Jesus talk about the kind of response we're invited to in kingdom life. And it's very, very different than the responses of this world. It has uh, the kind of language about it that if you have an enemy in front of you who has perpetrated some kind of violence upon you, you love them, love your enemies. Or if you have been uh, cursed on some level, you turn and bless. Or if you have been persecuted, you begin to pray. And, And that kind of kingdom, if we just don't give a wink and a nod to that as if they're nice little axioms we spout out in our Christian fortune cookies, but begin to wonder about what kind of life do we need to cultivate in order to become the kind of people who from the inside out, anchored within the supernatural power of the kingdom, our ongoing natural response to the unjust violence perpetrated upon us and betrayal is one where we turn and love or we turn and bless or we turn and pray for, not because we think we're supposed to, and prove something about God's commands and, 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 uh, and his moral code or something, but simply because we're anchored in a different kind of reality that brings light into the darkness. You cannot drive out hate with hate. You cannot drive out darkness with darkness. It is incumbent upon the people of light to act and interact in a different way. Right. Well, so when, when we talk about that, I think it's really important to say um, so much of the church in one point has been uh, so... Um, pointed towards trying to get people into the kingdom, which 
is really important. Accept God's forgiveness. And if you haven't done that and you don't have a, a personal, what I've been talking about, an interactive relationship with Jesus, um, that's the starting point. But we don't recognize this is the hard part of really being a follower of Jesus. It's following his way. And he gives some examples of what that is. If you have received forgiveness, you he calls you to forgiveness as well. Right? Um, forgive others just as you have forgiven me. Um, so there's forgiveness. Uh, and these are not easy steps to do. So I want to encourage you um, to think about this as something that the Spirit of God might be calling you to do if you're in this place. Mm-hmm. Along with that, part of what happens with forgiveness, but even more than that, is there needs to be a, a healing of, of wounds. And we have both counseling ministry here that is available to people at no cost. Um, and we also have a prayer ministry, gateway prayer ministry, that helps people move into inner healing. If you need to do that, those wounds will fester. But God is calling us not just to receive forgiveness, it's to walk in the kingdom. He's calling us to grow up, to be like Jesus. And that means forgiveness, means healing of inner wounds. It means, as you had just said, overcoming evil with good. And, and then one thing I want to say, too, when we talk about betrayal, because then people tend to get a little bit, um, uh, they find it, I think, this confusing. And that is, uh, I know you did a show the other day about toxic relationships and stuff like that yeah, uh, on yeah, a yeah. radio show. Yeah. Um, when, if you're in a situation where you have been betrayed, um, reconciliation is one thing and restoration is another. So it is important if you have been wounded and betrayed by someone that there will need to be some boundaries. And I could do a whole teaching on this and I won't. Um, but it is just, if you look at David and Saul at one point, Jonathan says to David, you got to get out of the palace. He's, you know, my dad's tried to kill you twice with a spear. You need to put some distance, some boundary between you and him. He does that. He runs in the wilderness. It changes your life when you put boundaries because you do have some wilderness kind of feelings in that because it's not familiar. It's not home. And you're out in this place. And then when that happens, Two times Saul comes and David takes things and, and could have killed Saul. Doesn't lay his hand on him. He's been betrayed by the king, if you want to put it that way. Doesn't lay a hand on him. And at one point it says in, in 1 Samuel 26, 21 through 25, um, Saul realizes that David spared his life twice. And he says, um, Saul says, I've sinned. Come back, David, my son, because you consider my life precious today. I will not, catch this word, I will not try to harm you again. That's a scary word. You need boundaries. And David, it ends that passage. So David went on his way and Saul returned home. He didn't go with him. Hmm. So all I'm saying is when we talk about betrayal, it does not, God is not into suffering for suffering's sake. Mm-hmm. He calls us, the Christian life is one where you, where you need to really know God's word. You really need to begin to integrate it into your life. You need Christian brothers and sisters around you who walk with God, who are in, in, those small group settings or other places where they can help you discern what God's calling you to do. Forgive, um, get those wounds healed, uh, overcome evil with good, and in certain cases, be careful about the boundaries in that thing. Let's move on. Yeah. Are you okay moving on to that? Sure. Or do yeah, you have something I'll else to say? your lead. Yeah, no, no. Okay. Yeah. okay. You're, oh, you're yeah. going to follow my yeah, lead? I mean, I, this is a surprising morning, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Right. laughs> so let me just say, in this, in this whole thing of betrayal, do you need to forgive? Do you need to find inner healing? Um, do you need to start working with your mind, overcoming um, evil with real good actions, prayers, things that Peter had mentioned? Do you need boundaries or someone to help you do that? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about when darkness reigns through a corrupt um, government, all forms of them. Judas' response 
to the corruption of Rome was interesting. Do you want to just talk about that for a moment? Yeah, well, I mean, Judas was, it was Judas Iscariot, right, who was considered a zealot. And there's a lot of different groups of people that follow Jesus in terms of their ideas about what God's kingdom life was about. And so Jesus really intentionally drew from a variety of demographics in terms of how they understood this. And and Judas's primary posture was one of a violent response to the violent oppression of Rome. So if you were a zealot, um, you would take up arms against Roman officials. You would potentially assassinate, if possible. Um, you would definitely organize coups to overcome, again, the structures in such a way. And, and, and you would meet, that again, that violent response with violence. And so you think about all the reasons why we decide to follow Jesus, right? And, and Judas clearly had decided to follow Jesus because he believed, based on Jesus' ongoing expression of otherworldly power, that eventually Jesus would come into sort of this cataclysmic confrontation with Rome. And when he did, he would exercise this otherworldly power against the Roman officials, and he would overthrow the Roman government and thus invite the Jewish people back into the rightly ordered place of ruling. And in all of that, he, he wanted to keep pressing Jesus into these confrontational okay, moments. Okay, so let me read something from Brian Zahn, who's in an article called Betrayed by a Kiss. He's a pastor and author. Um, he says, Judas and the rest of the disciples were undeniably locked into a paradigm of a violent messiah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Jewish understanding of Messiah's vocation included rescuing Israel from foreign oppressors and eventually ruling over the Gentiles. It was assumed this would be the accomplished in the same manner as the messianic prototype. So in their mind of Joshua and David and Judah and Maccabeus through violence. Okay. So despite his message of loving enemies, turning the other cheek and forgoing violent resistance to evil, the disciples were convinced that Jesus would eventually resort to violence. And eventually Jesus would alter his message, start killing Romans and liberate Israel. And eventually Jesus would become practical. And there's nothing more practical than violence. It gets the job done. Yeah, it it does. And and I think uh, for those of us that are watching, obviously, the events in Europe with Ukraine and Russia, there is the sympathetic response to the Ukrainian people who have been the victims uh, of this violence being perpetrated upon them. That is unjust. And, and there's this even desire, understandably, I think, as believers to want to support the Ukrainian people. And we were just talking about war in my ethics class about a week ago or so. And I was um, taken aback a little bit by some of the response of some of my young people in class, which is almost this celebration when the Ukrainians managed to kill some of the Russians. And yes, they are, they are withstanding the attack. And again, I, I understand the sympathetic impulse, but as we begin to talk again about these deeper waters of kingdom life, that it's hard to see where you're swimming sometimes because they are unfamiliar to us, it became real clear that to celebrate the, the death of an image-bearing child of God, however disordered that is, maybe we're missing something there. And, and maybe we've been informed, at least by the next generation, but I think us too, more by films and by video games in terms of how um, we understand the taking uh, of a sacred life in that way. And, and it doesn't mean Ukraine shouldn't defend itself, but, but can this whole thing be within the context of grief and tears yeah. versus so, celebrating violence? So we could get into, we won't do this in like right. just war theory. You know, some people are going, wait a second right yeah, now. Yeah, I know, right? I think all well, you're calling for people come, is yeah, to understand. I'll leave them, yeah, then you can okay. figure it out from there. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, Peter throws bombs out there and then I have to pick them up later. But <laughs> It's my pleasure, Kevin. It's my pleasure, yes. 
Yeah. Uh, I'll have Pastor Bruce deal with that one. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> no, so I, you, you, when you look at this, you, you get this idea that, that Judas is just tired of waiting. Yeah. He's going to force the hand. And, and does so. And I have to say, the core motivation um, behind betrayal uh, and behind a lot of things we do is um, you'll do whatever it takes to get what you want, no matter who it hurts. Okay? Now, the disciples were a little bit different. So when you look at this, and again, this could take a whole nother, a whole nother rabbit trail is, is, is Judas in hell forever. I mean, there's all kinds of arguments theologically around that. I, I have my own sense that I think he entered into darkness and didn't turn back and just kept going. Um, I also have to put in the disciples at this point. Because Jesus even calls out these soldiers. Look, at you saw me. I was in the temple courts. I was doing this. At any time, you could have come and taken me. He's calling out their corruption. And, and the disciples' response is, yeah, let's get them now. That's why you wanted the swords. And Jesus once again says, stop. Enough of this. And, and, and there's this deep sense in Jesus of there is a suffering that's coming that's really redemptive. And they don't get it. They don't understand how the kingdom of God moves forward in the world. You see, just prior to him saying, stop, don't do this, Peter, it would tell us in another gospel, not Luke, cuts off the ear of the, uh, the high priest, the most high, um, you know, high priest servant. I think this is really interesting because Jesus, I always used to think that Jesus went down and picked it up. It doesn't say that. It says he went over and he actually cupped, I think he probably touched the ear, cupped his ear, and in that, step, used his hand in this situation in a corrupt group coming after him and he healed. He did good. He overcame evil with good. And what I find is interesting in this is this very hand um, that Jesus, where he heals the most high servant, this very hand very soon will be pierced with the nail by the servant's most high priest. And I go, wow, that causes me pause. His response in this situation is really different than what you would imagine. So any thoughts, comments around that? Yeah, I mean, I think again, Kevin, when we, when we talk about how the kingdoms of this world the lines on the map, as it were, if we were all to take a, a geography exam quickly and try to, to name all the different lines on the map, um, those kingdoms are always brought about in one or two ways. They're always changing, number one. Number two, they're always brought in one of two ways. They're either brought, uh, bought through um, purchase or they're brought through bloodshed. Um, it's always war and it's always money that bring about the kingdoms of this world and the redrawing of the lines on the map. But what we're seeing here is the front end of Jesus bringing in an entirely different kind of kingdom in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the betrayal. He's operating on an entirely different level that doesn't fit within the philosophies of this world for how a kingdom operates. And I think it's so helpful to note that the foundation of a kingdom then give shape to how that kingdom is going to move forward. We talk about our constitution in the United States as giving shape to the kingdom of the United States. To, to spend some time in this time of passion and suffering and darkness and what's going on and really think about the kind of Jesus, uh, the kind of kingdom Jesus brought about. This is, this is his constitution, as it were. 
that this is how life in this particular uh, kingdom that is the only eternal kingdom that cannot be overcome, it is the only um, kingdom that will remain, this is how it comes into being. And so to, to really see the separation, it's profound in these moments, but it, it's, again, very unfamiliar typically for me to think in these ways because I am so swept up in the ways of this world on a weekly basis. So when I, th- when I think about this, I'm just getting it down to, so get your heads out of if you're in Ukraine or someplace else right now. And about how we respond as nations, that's, that has a whole other area of thought. Let's get just down to your personal life. Even as a church, how we operate as a church. It appears quite clear in Scripture that the way of Jesus was not coercive force to get someone to do something. That wasn't how he did it. He did not use his personal power to control and to make a person move in a certain direction. He always used his power to serve in order to win the heart. He loved. He overcame evil with good. He forgave. He stepped into these situations, and he was bringing a different kind of kingdom. I guess that's, if we talk about this area of corrupt governments, how do you go about it? Is it a, I want to take our power, we as a church, we're going to overcome and become, I mean, there's a huge national Christian move today. And we're going to use our force and power to overcome the corrupt government we have. I'm not saying we don't become wise and, and, and aware of how we can vote and all things. I, hear me. The anger that says from the church that we're going to get things back and take, that's not... I know I'm going to get people upset. That is not how Jesus responds. There were four different political parties. He did not align himself with one. He aligned himself with the kingdom of God, which was about not establishing territory externally. It was about going into the heart and winning the heart. And when the heart is one, the life is changed. (laughs) I'm going to put you on the spot. I sat next to one of our new, I just met one of our Chinese students. She said to me, I'm working this, this life as a Christian is about being all in. And I just went, praise God. I'm glad I sat next to you. Yeah. You know, she could have, she could have done this sermon in about 11 seconds. Maybe you should come up. Yeah, clearly, <laughs> clearly. Yeah, no one's going to want to sit next to me again, will they? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just look at this and I go, all this leads to a, you know, so let's just to sum up, man, there's around this betrayal. It's a deep wound. You need to, if you've been in that place and that's a dark night you're in, you, I just pray for you to get around someone that can help you move into those steps of forgiveness and healing of your wounds and, and beginning to overcome the evil with good and making sure you know the boundaries. I would also talk when it comes to my, This is such a big topic, but it's in here. Corrupt governmental powers. It's pretty clear that the hand that reached out to the ear didn't go to slug him, didn't say keep fighting. I mean, just think about it. Peter went for a kill shot. I'm glad he wasn't a good soldier. He would have, he'd have the neck off the guy, right? That would have been an interesting miracle. <laughs> get that it was a kill shot and Jesus takes his hand cups it and heals and that very same hand soon will have nails piercing it out of deep love because he knows that love transforms hearts mm-hmm. so now the third thing is it says here 
But this is your hour. It's just this weird thing where darkness reigns. And every year we read the story of the passion and suffering of Jesus because every year we need to be reminded that there are times in our life when darkness seems to reign and you may be in that moment. We are, we are living in the yet, not yet. We are here in a fallen world where we are still understanding what the suffering and passion does for redeeming the world around us. And yet those times of darkness are incredibly hard. <clears throat> when you think about it, Jesus says, this is your hour, darkness reigns. Is there anything more frightening than to hear those words in some sense from the Son of God who's confessing that this hour of darkness now reigns? You could easily kind of think about it as Jesus acknowledging defeat. Kind of like, I tried my best to win, but couldn't do it, and darkness reigns. And yet there's a really bigger truth at play here. Because Jesus is well aware. He kind of says to Peter, Peter, put your sword down. Don't you know that in a microsecond I could send all kinds of angels to win this thing? But in this moment of darkness, God is allowing it because in this darkness, he's redeeming this earth. He's redeeming souls. He's redeeming people. Talk about, if you want, just the darkness. Yeah, yeah. From I your mean, level. It, we're obviously moving towards um, Easter as, as a people. And, and I don't know what your background of faith has been, typically speaking. I know I've spent a lot of time over the years with a Good Friday part of the gospel message about Jesus being willing to sort of take our place or whatever language we use around all of that. But to understand why Jesus was willing to go into the darkness, we need to have an Easter Sunday gospel. We didn't understand what was going on among the people and among the imagers and among the beloved, who in the Old Testament, it continues to talk about that they lived in a context in, when, in which the curse of sin and death reigned over the top of them. And it brought misery among them. It brought no answers to the betrayals of this world, to the violence of this world. And uh, in that midst of, of the curse of, of sin and death, um, we were subject to it. But there was one who was willing to diminish himself in his fullness and walk into the darkness uh, to go into the waters of death. The reason why Jesus had to die was because he was the only one that could overcome the power of sin and death in and of itself. And, uh, and when that first breath was taken on that Easter morning, there was a, there was a new sheriff in town. There, there, was, there was somebody who had conquered the power of sin and death. And, and when we talk about these really hard and deep waters of kingdom life to try to work through the pain of betrayal, and Kevin, I'm so glad you brought up what you did about the need to work through woundedness. And, and this is not a one-time prayer on a Friday night where you're like, I, just, I really want to forgive the person who perpetrated the betrayal. This is, this is a journey, right? We know, we know the drill. But, but here's the thing. Jesus promises, because he conquered the power of sin and death, that that same power, this is Romans 8 now, that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, corporately you, how much more will he bring God's ways of life into your mortal bodies? Meaning that there's a resurrection power at work in us that we can't drum up on our own. I don't know about you, but when I've been betrayed, it's not like I can just easily, naturally forgive somebody. But as we work in these waters of discipleship that you described earlier, we grow strong in a kingdom kind of life that begins to meet the darkness with light in the midst of all of it. And the reason why Jesus went into those waters was love for his beloved. And when he took that first breath, everything changed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask someone to come up. Peter, thank you so much. No, it's great. Always I great to be here. I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Yep. I'm going to ask Travis Sorrell, Travis and Anna, our missionaries. Let me just, as he's coming up, and I'll set that up in a second. Here's what I want you to think about in this one about, um, you know, the, the mindset they had of violence and overtaking. How do you use your personal power and influence? Do you use it to serve someone for their good 
Or are you using it to get your way in what you think you want? And sometimes even you think God wants. So that's kind of the question of that one. I want to just, <clears throat> Travis, thanks for doing this. As I was working through the dark night of the soul kind of aspect, you came to my heart and mind. Both you and Anna have gone through some tough times. You are missionaries of ours to, um, in Asia. Uh, we won't name the place. And you had to come back in 2017. Uh, or no, you went there in 2017, you came back in 2020 because of COVID. Do you want to share a little bit about your return? Yeah, yeah. So like Kevin said, we went overseas in 2017, came back um, early 2020. You know, there was a new virus spreading in Asia. Um, and so our bosses pulled us and the rest of the team back. And our plan was, we're going to come back to the States. We're going to wait out this virus. And it's going to take two to three months. It didn't. We're still here. Two years later. <laughs> Two years later. Um, we're stuck in the States. Um, we're not where we want to be. We're a half a world away from our friends and the people we work with. We really, truly consider Asia our home. And for the last two years, we haven't been able to go home. And if that wasn't enough, you guys all experienced 2020 as well. Um, you know, the few highs, but a lot of lows lockdowns and working from home. George Floyd was killed a couple months after we got back. And, you know, that has been a process until today going through that. We had the election in 2020. Anna and I spent the year couch hopping. You know, just each month we were hoping, oh, now we're going to get some good news. Now we're going to be able to go home. Yeah. So you're here in the U.S. and you get back. You're waiting to go back to work until... Now you kind of go, can it get worse? Yeah, yeah. If you <laughs> thought it couldn't get worse, our 2021 did. Um, in March, a year ago from last Sunday, uh, my wife Anna was actually admitted to the hospital. She had been sick for a long time, for many months. Some respiratory disease that the doctors couldn't figure out what it was. It wasn't COVID. She had enough tests that we knew it wasn't covid but to be honest, there were times, especially those first few nights in the hospital for her, that we didn't know if she was going to make it. She was very, very sick. We came to find out it was tuberculosis, which is entirely treatable, thank God. Um, but it did a number on her body. She was in the hospital for about a month. Then she was on antibiotics for another five months after that. And she still feels the effects today. So, you've had two really hard years. It's still lingering. Um, you're still waiting for God to do, to do something. So tell me a little bit, and others, because they may be in the same place. How is God, how, what's that like with you as you went through those two years with God? Even? It's been tough, <laughs> honestly. Um, it's been really dark. You know, like the scriptures, like some of the songs, some of the words we've heard this morning, it's been a really hard two years. And in our own spiritual walks, there's been some times when it's been really quiet. Mm -hmm. There's been some times where it's really felt silent. We've had a lot of questions, and a lot of them haven't gotten answered yet. When are we going back to Asia? Is Anna ever going to feel 100% healthy again? What is God doing? <laughs> yep. And is he going to redeem this time how is he going to redeem this time? Is he going to redeem this time on this side of heaven? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, 
when I was doing this series, and as you just said right here, you've you've done each of the messages: grief, loss. You've experienced confusion. You've experienced now darkness. And it was in that darkness you wrote this poem. And this is what caused me to think about you coming and sharing in this moment. So, would you share what God gave you? Yeah. Yeah, I will. Why, O oh Lord? Do you allow darkness to cover again the surface of the world? We are not the first generation to wonder, and we will not be the last. In Egypt, your chosen ones were protected. But now, surrounded by wolves, your people are vulnerable. Pray to sickness and death, that final enemy. Pray to worry and concern, those thieves of joy. Pray to the unknown. Where are you, O Lord? Where is your messenger calling your children out? We know you are here. We know your spirit is inside us, moving us, making us as the wind. Oh, that we could hear you. While the nations rage against one another, against themselves, against you, we wait, longing to hear your voice. Turn right, turn left, be still. Peace, be still. Words easier to hear than to heed when one wrong step could mean defeat. The sheep know your voice, but can they hear it over the wailing cacophony in this darkness? Some hear you say to be bold, to go. Others hear you say to wait, to be still. Still others. We are imperfect, broken. Your people are too much like the nations, plotting against one another, despising one another, forgetting that the other is your child. We've made following you about so many other things besides come follow me. We've forgotten that your kingdom is not of this world, so we fight in vain to make our nation your kingdom, thrashing against those in our way. We've forgotten to care for the least of these, hoping the wealth of those who have much will trickle down and help so that we don't have to. We've forgotten that all people are made in your image, even those not made in ours. Is that why, O Lord? Is this present darkness punishment for our sins? Do you deal with the world again like you once did? Or is this a reminder to wait, to listen, to let this world you created breathe? Or is this darkness simply darkness, the result of the fall, the result of this world no longer being what it once was, not yet being what it will be again. Will you not act and heal this land, command the darkness depart, command the sea again be still? O Lord my God, yet in this darkness I will praise you. Still we will lift up your name. In the midst of these questions, in the middle of these storms, these three things I know, these four things we declare. You, O Lord, are good. You, O shepherd, are patient. You, our Father, are love. And this chapter ends with a wedding by a glassy sea as people from every nation sing in 10,000 tongues. Amen. Let's stand together. And I'm going to ask you as a congregation, if you wouldn't mind for a moment to kind of put your hands out like we do from time to time. I just want to pray for Travis and for Anna, and then I want to pray for you. Father, 
Pray for Travis and Anna. Uh, we know their journey has been long, at times confusing, filled with grief, filled with uh, wanting to hear. We just pray, God, Holy Spirit, you would sustain him and his faith, knowing that morning is coming. There is a, a glassy sea where all nations come together and proclaim you as our Lord and King. So bless them, we pray. And now I just want to pray for you. And yet you may be praying in your mind for someone that you know who's in a dark night, in a dark time. I, I just want to ask Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God. You said, Jesus, but in this hour, this is your hour when darkness reigns. What you didn't say is what was said afterwards. He is risen. He will live and does live. And he will live in your life. He does live in your life right now. And I pray, Holy Spirit of God, for anyone who in this darkness resonates much with what Travis has shared, that you would be their comfort and their strength. You would be their hope. I know God's working in some hearts right now, and I know he's actually praying through you for someone you love dearly who is in the midst of darkness. Father, for those who are so close to just giving up on it all, I pray they would hear once again in their hearts that you, oh God, you, Jesus, are good. You are a shepherd who is patient and serve a father who loves even when we don't feel it, you are still working these things out that you might reign in our lives and you will bring back what has been stolen. You will restore that which is in despair into hope that, God, you will bring joy again in the morning. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.